0: Three,
1: two, one. Folks come to me and, um, and they're so accustomed to being the person that's, that's, that's right and on the right side of history and kind of the most progressive person in their spaces and they get called in. Somebody tells them that, that they actually are the ones that, that made a misstep and for so many folks there's like this meltdown that happens. There's like this shame spiral.
0: Amber Hikes is a social justice advocate, a community organizer, an unapologetic queer black woman, and currently the chief equity and inclusion officer at the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. And even while holding all of these titles, they are constantly interrogating each and every one of them, which is why Amber is here on podcast Noor today. Amber uses the pronouns they and she, which we get into a lot in the conversation where I have my own learning lessons around pronouns, language, writing and introducing people. How to ask questions that might make you uncomfortable, how to have hard conversations and constantly looking at our own privileges, even if we may be a part of different communities that may not have the same privileges as the dominant culture. In 2017 amber created the philly pride flag which is the pride flag that features a black and brown stripe there is a big story behind this flag and the response that they got for the flag and the flag's design that we get into here in this storytelling session so right now even in this introduction i'm using a lot of these big words One of the things that we do in this conversation that I really love is breaking down language and getting really into the nitty-gritty of what it means to use this terminology, uh, when the terminology is used to just, I don't know, be clickbaity, but there's always more to it. And I'm a little bit at a loss of words because I just wrapped this conversation, and it was one of the most open, most truthful most fun conversation we laugh a lot so if you're in the mood for laughing this is something that you want to be a part of amber is remarkable because she does not believe that there is a single issue struggle they approach all of their work through the lens of intersectionality and i am left after this conversation feeling more hopeful feeling more clear Having a better understanding of what liberation means for myself, my community, and the communities at large, and how we can all be of better service to one another. So, welcome to Podcast Noor and this guided storytelling session with Amber Hikes. Welcome to podcast. Noor, I'm so happy to be talking to you. The last time I saw you in person was pre-COVID, right before COVID. And we got to share the floor and talk about our insides at an event in New York City. And I really just loved, I love the way that your brain works and the way that you think about people and the way that you think about building community. And I'm so happy to be here. How is your heart? Uh,
1: my heart is so full right now. It's we. It's it's the end of the week for me, and we are. I we're in conversation, and so I'm. I'm so delighted. I remember that night very well. Like you said, it was, I I feel like it was just a few weeks before everything shut down and we were, we were just vibing. I feel like that's the best way to describe (laughs) it. We were vibing and it was one of those connections that you, you leave the event and your mind is kind of buzzing afterwards and my mind and my heart were buzzing and that's exactly how I, how I feel right now. I'm so excited for this, this conversation and it's just, it's filling, it's filling up my spirit in all the best ways
0: yes oh my gosh thank you amber i yeah as you're describing that i was thinking about it we that was like i think even for the brand that we were speaking with like was a big night for them because the just like the response from the audience and the candor and the vulnerability and i was just like oh cool so when we create spaces that to have these allow people to be so open Like Uh you can say things that you're afraid to say because it's how you really feel based on your life experience. And I'm here with low or no judgment because I know that we're here with the same intention or a similar intention or an aligned intention. Um, Things are, things go a little bit different. And I think that that's That's also a bigger, like it's safer to say that with um, in person too. Cause when you're looking at people straight in the face, it's a lot harder to be so mean, to be <laughs> that's so exactly right. you know, to turn off your empathy. How have you, how have you seen, you know, how have you seen that play out with the spaces that you notice people are more or less comfortable speaking in, that, being open in?
1: That's a that's an interesting question for me to answer because um, so I do my full time work at the at the ACLU and it's equity, diversity, and inclusion work, and we are approaching. That kind of work in the workplace, as you can imagine, in a pretty different way from how other um, nonprofit organizations or corporations do that. And a part of why we're approaching it that way is because my background is in social work, uh, my background is in community organizing. And so I and my team have a vision for a different kind of future of the workplace than I, than I think folks who do this work in other places have a vision for. And so I, I give that context because we're trying to have these kinds of transformative conversations in the workplace because we build be, we believe like you were saying when folks can show up with true authenticity and that way they can show up fully as as themselves there's a there's also a vulnerability that's present we can we can do better work and that's really important at the aclu because the work that we're doing is civil liberties and civil rights work and so we want folks to be able to bring you know not to be trite but to bring their fullest selves to work so that they can do even better work for for the organization for our communities for our country and so i give all that context to say we were having those kinds of conversations in person and then have been trying to replicate that kind of magic and that kind of power virtually and to be totally candid, it has been a, it's been a bit of a challenge because you're right that that connection that's built when you're in person with someone. I would say, especially not just within marginalized communities, but across lines of difference, that connection it's 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 easier to build when you're actually face to face. It's a lot harder to make assumptions about folks. It's a lot it's a lot harder to be mean as as you were saying, right? To to kind of dismiss um, folks when you're in space and you're sharing energy with them. And so it's been kind of difficult to replicate that in this virtual environment but we're we're trying and we're still having some really powerful conversations and creating different models but it it hasn't been without its challenges uh to be totally honest that said of course there's been a lot of benefit to being able to to be home and take care of ourselves and our families and our communities in different ways so it's it's always a both and right
0: yeah always a both and always with the paradox always on like It's just always more than what we think the answer is. And even when you're talking about that, you're talking about, you know, creating a virtual space where people who are aligned are showing up and it's still difficult. So imagine when we talk about things like social media and not only do you not know the person personally, but somehow we also feel entitled to the person's entire life and their entire life story or their entire like mindset. We completely like deem people "Quote bad people," which I don't believe in good or bad people, but just, that's like the label. We we simplify everything, label that's them right. real quick, and then we're like, okay, do we write this off or we don't write this off? Do we cancel this person? We don't cancel this person. And um, right. more a than it being what you're talking about. Ooh, yes, yeah. yes, that's what it and is. And dehumanization yeah. doesn't just dehumanize the person we're talking about; it dehumanizes ooh. yourself. Talk about, like Talk about it. Talk about it. I'm okay, part. let's get straight to it. Let's mm-hmm, get straight to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, like what happens to your I would I would love to hear from you. What happens to your insides? Do you believe happens to our insides when we take away the humanity of another human being?
1: You know, this is this is fascinating. The reason I pulled that dehumanization term out is Brene Brown talks a lot about, yep. about this yep. and about mm-hmm. how when we strip people down right to to their to what we deem is like their their worst parts the 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 worst components of a human being like we're not really thinking about what that's also doing to us and frankly our ability to relate to the world right because let's let's be clear we all have those sticky parts we all have those places that that need and require more work and so the more you're able to dehumanize someone to strip them of their community their humanity their right to to that kind of to that kind of grace and humanity you are absolutely doing the very same thing to yourself because you're going to need that kind of grace from community as well and so that kind of energy that you're putting out into the world that allows you to dehumanize another person, it does reverberate. I, you know, don't mean to get so so spiritual so quickly, but I, I truly believe that. No, let's that do that it. That's rever- what we're here for. <laughs> that's what we are here to do, right? It reverberates not just in in your in your world, but it, it reverberates throughout the the universe, right? So it, it it does come back to you because you're creating, you're you um, contributing to a different kind of to a harmful cycle in in the world, and so I think that's that's something that we have to kind of constantly be interrogating for ourselves and checking ourselves on, and also just checking checking our people on too because it's entirely too easy, especially with social media, especially when we're so removed from folks in um in, in this way and especially in this virtual environment, it's easy to to cancel folks, to dehumanize them, um, and to make these us and them categories, even within our own communities and even when we have so much in common with people.
0: Mm. You have a like a chat I feel like you have a challenging Uh, position in the work that you do because it only makes sense to me as I hear you speak that you have to have this mentality in order to actually execute impact in the job that you have with um, focusing on equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I'm going to be real with you, Amber, I love watching you work and I love the work that you do and I love learning from you. And I really am sick and tired of hearing the terms diversity and inclusion. Ooh, because they too. have come Like that's in your job title and Who I'm like I am good. Like <laughs> if I get one more email that's like d and I like you look different, can you do D and I'm like oh, oh my gosh because it it, it it is tricky because I think that especially when we first started getting, you know, more offers or more work or more requests around that i'm like well is that because my existence is this and so you Mm -hmm. think i have perspective because it's not entirely it's not what i've studied like i can tell you i can teach you about how to tell a good story i can tell you how to tell a story that focuses that is intentional and that focuses on doing no harm to the communities that we're talking about but like i i mean when we had dr yaba Blay on here she spoke to this about like everybody and their mother is doing like diversity and inclusion work, but that's not what they were trained in. Like that's not what our, but at the same time, like we also need the work. So is it like now I'm valuable to you. And so this is when you should start bringing me in. It's all over the place. And as somebody Mm -hmm. who has an official title that includes that terminology, how do you feel about the terms? How do you feel about people taking the jobs surrounding the terms? And where are corporations? I mean, I'll ask you all those things again, but you know, just
1: yes. Who? It. It's so complicated. It is so complicated. Mm-hmm. I can feel myself. I'm I'm rolling up my sleeves right now because I can feel <laughs> myself getting hot. I'm like, here we go, and literally over here, like, let me just. I get like, started. <laughs> we're not. You, I mean, I never get to. I never get to answer these these kinds of questions. I feel so complicated about the EDI. Field, right. In the same way that I feel very complicated about the nonprofit industrial complex that, that, I, that I work within the same way that I feel compliment, um, complicated about government spaces that I worked in before and academic spaces that I worked in before that. Um, and that's because we're talking about systems. Right. And we're talking about systems that exist within capitalism. And because these are all systems and we are all people that exist within capitalism, there are. We are all, there's a box checkiness about this, which is I think what you're reacting to. Like you tap me on my shoulder because I hold X identities because I, for instance, am black and queer and non-binary and assigned female at birth and all of this. And so you see some utility, you see some benefit in my story, right? In the way that I can communicate, in the message that I can give that fits your needs, right? And so you you tap me in to be able to, to, to your benefit, right? That's the problem right there, is when we are using folks for their identities, for profit, for gain, right, for the benefit of these systems. And I think that's what's been done in DNI traditionally. And that's why a lot of us are rolling our eyes. And that's why a lot of us who have been DNI practitioners for some time are particularly frustrated with this idea of tapping other folks just because of their identity, because you're tokenizing those human beings, right? Which is something that we are fighting against. Don't tap someone on the shoulder because of their identities and so they can meet this need for you. Tap that person on the shoulder because you truly, deeply, genuinely want to understand their perspective. And because you want to use that perspective to change these systems. That's the problem, is that we're weaponizing certain identities and certain folks with those identities to keep and maintain the status quo. And I think when DI practitioners have this pushback around the way that the field has been inflated and the way that it has been kind of co-opted, that's what we're calling out is why are you X corporation? Asking this person to speak on this topic. What talking points are you giving? Are you giving them? And then at the end of the day, what's what's the end game, right? What is the utility? What's the benefit for you? Because if the benefit is still just to maintain white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy, then maybe you got it wrong, right? Like you're not you're not understanding. And so I think that's what's been really challenging about continuing to do this work in this moment is that. We need more folks doing this work. That's true. We need more folks kind of beating on the doors of these systems, but we also need those folks who are doing it to be able to have a critical analysis about how they may be being used by the same exact systems that they're trying to dismantle. And, and that's because the, the, the field is ballooned so quickly. I think that's a piece that that we're so often missing, but it's complicated.
0: Mm. I mean, like everything is. And I mean, i I'm happy to look at everything with a complicated lens because it means that there will never be a period at the end of the answers because there are, the answers are always evolving. How do you have like a, a, do you have your own checklist or your own intention box of how do I know where this person is uh-huh. coming from? Cause at the end of the day, you are talking about corporations that they do need to make profit and also they do need to do the right thing. And t- and those things are naturally going to go hand in hand. Like we're That's not right. going to do the right thing and then take a pause on making money or just like writing one fat check at one point in time and being like, then That's let's right. continue doing it. So where – tell me if, if you can – even present a case study with either a brand or not a real brand or a corporation mm-hmm. and tell me what the perfect scenario is if this company is in what most com- the position that most companies are in right now, which is, oh, we just did this audit and realized we have a lot of gaps. How do yes. we step-by-step do this right?
1: This is, whew, it's a big question. What I, what I want to start, the caveat that I want to start with is mm-hmm. that there actually isn't, there there isn't a generalized kind of standard checklist What I would say is that your check, you need to have your personal checklist that aligns with your values and your morals, right? And we also need to be constantly evolving that checklist. If we're good allies and we're good accomplices to one another, we need to be expanding that checklist for not just our morals, but also the kind of ethics and values of the communities that we wanna be allies to and wanna be accomplices to, the kind of values and ethics that they hold as well, right? That's how we push ourselves to be better in the same way that we're hopefully pushing these corporations to be better. In this time in our in our country and really our world's history, we're all being called to do more for each other, right? We're being called to see, to understand, to, to really show up. And it's not the responsibility of marginalized folks to fight the systems and injustices that target them, right? It's our responsibility to fight for one another and to practice intersectional allyship and to be able to move beyond allyship into accomplish And so I need us to be doing kind of a collective interrogation um, of, of how we show up in the world. And, and so to get to, to brass tacks, if allyship, and most folks are familiar with that term, so if allyship is about solidarity, accomplishship is about leveraging your privilege, um, weaponizing your own power, and putting your body on the line. Um, I'm going to give you some examples. Accomplishship is saying, I'm not just here to cheer you on, I'm here to fight with you like it's my own fight. Accomplices believe in their bones that their comfort is less important than someone else's liberation. Does that mean their comfort is less important than someone else's liberation? And then they act on that belief. So if I'm going to give you a concrete example, um, a white ally, for instance, is going to march in a protest, a white accomplice is going to put their body between BIPOC protesters and the police. Okay, right? Like you got different skin in the game, like very literally in that example, you got different skin in the game. Um, A cisgender ally is gonna correct someone who's using the wrong pronouns. A cisgender accomplice is going to fund name change clinics, right, for transgender non-binary folks. Um, You've got different skin in the game, you are investing in this in a different way. A male ally is going to ensure that there's pay equity on their team. A male accomplice, is going to give up an opportunity at work so that a woman or non-binary person has a chance at it. You you understand like it, it's not easy, child, it ain't for everybody, but it demands that we trade in our privilege for equity. Um, and and I think the final thing that I'd say about that is that ceasing our power, seeding, seeding our power can be so transformative. And if we're going to actually Finally, get free, then we need people with privilege to do that. So that's why I need us to move from allyship into (laughs) accomplishment.
0: Is that helpful? Let's go. Yeah, that's um, more than helpful. And what I really loved, like, I love that you can explain that and still say, and I know it's not for everyone because it's not saying, it's not putting anybody down or saying, you know, going back to the good and bad. It's recognizing that, again, Everybody has their own life experiences and place in their lives right now. And it is not humanly possible for every single person to take on every single cause. It is important for all of us to see people and to truly see them and hear them and value them in our everyday interactions. And I don't expect every single person to like sacrifice their body for a specific thing that I'm going through it's just like how are we constantly interrogating where we have the space to do that because that's how we build uh, because that's how we create impact and so as people listen I want them to understand too like no one is asking you to put your life on the line for every single cause out there even though sometimes that's what it sounds like because like we have we are not having the most clear conversations I think and now to your caveat Yes. Yes.
1: Well, I I actually, I want to say some more about what what you were just saying about how we can, how we can do a better job of, um, uh, analyzing and then selecting how we're, how we're going to show up. I gave some pretty extreme examples there, but I want to be clear. I don't want to ever diminish the power of showing up on your social media channels. Um, showing up, I think the most powerful thing you can do, even beyond, um, the the very extreme example I gave of like putting your body between police and protesters, one of the most powerful things you can do is actually like calling in your racist grandma, right? Or having a really difficult conversation with your cousin that says something that was out of pocket, right? Like that is transformative work. That work that happens at your dinner table. And hard. Oh my God. Doing it with the people you actually know. Ooh, child, like that, that is, that is real work. That is true, serious work. And it's also, it's, it's not seen. It's not, it's, it's not really in the spotlights and the headlines, but that's, that's the work that, that, that actually makes serious, meaningful change. And I want to name it because sometimes it can be so incredibly overwhelming when you're, when we're talking to people that we, that we love, but who are saying things that are harmful to other communities. It is so terrifying to have that conversation. It's so hard mm-hmm. to say. You know what? You know what, Dad? Like, you actually you use this word, and you've used it for as long as I've known you. And mm. I, I want to talk to you about I want to talk to you about that. Like, I'm not I'm not comfortable when you say that. Or like, I, I have a friend who is X, and they they told me that that this is actually is actually really violent to say that. Like, I'm I'm just rehearsing this right now, and I'm I'm getting hot. Right? That is hard hard work. I know. I want to yeah. tell folks who are doing mm-hmm. that work that it's not necessarily your job in one conversation to take somebody from a one to a 10, right? We think that we have to change people's minds on the spot and that's not necessarily the work. That's not, that's not at all how movement work or liberation work works. It's your job to maybe get them from that one to a two and keep them, keep them in the conversation. And maybe you, you come back and you get them from that two, 2 a 3. And then somebody else at work has a conversation and then they can bring them from the 3 to the 4, right? That's how the work happens. We got to we got to do this in bite-sized bite-sized pieces sometimes, but don't throw your hands up. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't leave the movement because you're not able to make that change overnight or you're not able to put your body between the cops mm. and the protesters. You know what I mean? We all have yep. work to do in in this space. And so I don't want anybody to get discouraged because it's a it's a long it's a long fight. It's a long fight. And we're certainly we're, it has, we're far from I done. mean
0: then you you can easily get discouraged after the first, those first conversations are oftentimes like the hardest ones too, because you're also like the thing at play is, especially when it comes to loved ones is seeing the people that you love and who have loved and who love you at like in a completely different way than you ever have before. That's right. Like, especially when you're working, like when you're doing that self growth work and self healing, like it's a journey for all of us because we oh. not we don't all hold every identity. We're never going to all understand everyone the same way that we understand ourselves. So like it's interesting when you're on when you choose to be on that path and then you see like the people that you trusted your whole life or that you loved your whole life and that you still love um opt out of that or opt into not questioning the things that they have grown up believing or seeing or saying because it's too much work to do that. And I'm just like, "Yo, okay, I mean, and that's, of course, where boundaries become a thing where like you have to make sure that you're, you know, you're reassessing and your relationship. Yeah. Because that's all a part of the work, too. Like, I'm I'm not going to be able to show up if I'm out. Like, if I'm like, I have spent all I have inside of me in that one moment of conversation. That's exactly right.
1: And you said something earlier about, um, you know, making sure that you're safe and taking care of yourself. That's exactly right. Like, I want to be clear. We need all of us in this work, and you're no, you're no good to us. (laughs) Right? If you're if you're not taking care of yourself, you are no good to the, to the to the movement and to the work and to liberation work, if you're not making sure that yourself, you're safe, and you're cared for. So I need folks to be doing that, that assessment for themselves. There's something that I that you were just talking about that, like, I wanted to pull on pull on this thread, because I feel like it connects back to this piece about um, having grace for ourselves and our communities, and making sure that we're not dehumanizing dehumanizing others. There's also an inward piece that I think about a lot because when we're, I'm having these conversations with folks about how to show up as better allies and accomplices, folks come to me and um, and they're so accustomed to being the person that's 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 right and on the right side of history and kind of the most progressive person in their spaces, and they get called in on something, um, or somebody else tells them that that. That they got something wrong. So the work that they're trying to do with like, whatever, the racist grandma, because I've been using that example, um, mm-hmm. somebody tells them that, that they actually are the ones that, that made a misstep. And for so many folks, there's like this meltdown that happens, right? There's like this shame spiral that happens. like Oh my God, how did I get this wrong? I can't believe this. Then there's like defensiveness that comes up, right? Well, no, you, did, you, you misunderstood what I was saying. You took this out of context. And I have to, I think that's what a lot of us have to do that work. It's like leaning in to when we get called forward in the same way that we're calling other people forward. I think that's where some really critical work still needs to happen for our communities. And I feel like when we can have grace for ourselves in those moments, we're going to be in a better place to have grace for others. Like back to that conversation, like when we could humanize our own mistakes and challenges, we can do a better job of humanizing other folks when mm. they, when they stumble as well. And so the, the the example that I use all the time, and maybe this will be helpful for folks who are struggling with if that comes up when they get called in, is that accept this correction as like when somebody tells you that there's food in your teeth, right? Oh <laughs> <so>, yes. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because that's awkward as hell for everybody involved, right? That person took a risk. By telling you that there was food in your teeth, but they did it because they cared about you. And they didn't want you to go to the next room with food in your teeth, looking like a fool, right? So they helped you out. And so what do you do? you like, say thank you. You like handle your business. You get the food out of your teeth. <laughs> and then you move on to the next space, taking that correction, also being probably a little more self-conscious about what's going on in your yeah. mouth. And hopefully, you know, somebody else has food in their teeth, you help them out too. So they don't go running around all day with food in their teeth. And I think that's such a perfect example of how we can take call-ins and corrections. Like this is, this is a gift. This is an opportunity. Somebody could have just as easily, probably more easily, let you go into the next room with food your teeth, But they cared about you. And so they gave you a heads up. And that's exactly what it is when we tell somebody that they use the wrong pronouns or that they use outdated language or they committed a microaggression against someone else, right? Somebody's just helping you out so that you go into the next room and you show up better. And baby, that's a gift. They didn't have to do that.
0: They didn't have to do that. And people don't owe you those corrections and... The knowledge and stuff because everyone's going through their own okay. thing. I actually have a question about pronouns that I was thinking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so your pronouns are they, she, right? That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. And correct. so when, for instance, wow, see, I'm doing my learning on my podcast. When, for instance, it, writing your bio and yes. wanting to like introduce you into the episode... Do yes. is it preferred that I use them interchangeably? Do I pick one and stick to it? Is there a, like a time where it's better to stick question. to one than the other? Because I you know, the writer in me is like <laughs> I need to I need to follow through <laughs> with my writing so that this looks and sounds as seamless as possible. And then yes. also, I obviously don't want to get it wrong.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Nora, thank you for this. Thank you so much for this question. <laughs> You're I really, welcome. I really appreciate it. I know for other folks, it's challenging, but I will say for anybody, uh, for all the non-binary folks that I know, and certainly all the folks that use um, multiple pronouns, right, they really appreciate the question. It's right. yeah. not the case for everybody. For me, my personal preference is that folks use them interchangeably. I have a slight preference for they, um, just because I've Present a uh, particularly I, well. My, my presentation changes by the day, but folks so often just use solely she pronouns for me, and so I have a deep preference for folks using um they and she interchangeably, with a bit of a preference um for they. But in the instance of a of a bio, I would love for there to be interchangeable pronouns. One because that feels most authentic for for me, but also I think so it's like a great switch exercise. it up every
0: sentence. Switch it, You don't have to switch it up every sentence, but like, but, uh, but you know what I mean. It's like I can say it. <laughs> well, I mean, I I feel like that's the only way I it'll be more cl- Okay, so then if I if you do that, then is it important to mention the pronouns? Cuz okay, if I were to compare as closely as I can to myself, it would be like I don't really prefer when in my bio people like mention my faith or mention like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. my like heritage cuz I'm like you just you don't do that for anybody else, but so like you're doing that for me. So then it right. so Is it for you personally? Obviously, because it's person by person thing. Would you prefer to to for me to mention it uh, the pronouns in the beginning and then continue using them interchangeably?
1: Yeah, it could it could be something as simple as Amber Hikes who uses she and they pronouns, or Amber Hikes who uses they and she pronouns, and then the rest. So it's just it's just a
0: matter of writing more clearly.
1: That's exactly right. (laughs) because
0: it's because people are in
1: different places around their their competency and their understanding of this right and so you could be doing the exact right thing which is to use the the pronouns interchangeably and then someone else could be reading this and be completely lost about who are the multiple ambers that we are talking about here right right? and so just to be even even more clear and to help folks be able to to actually read a bio you can give a, a kind of easy note there at the top that that those are the Thank you, that you are for answers.
0: answering my question. Thank you for asking it. This is fantastic. See y'all? Yes, for more learning. See how easy See? it is? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that well, was a perfect
0: example. You're also so great at teaching. And one of the biggest intentions that you have in the work that you do and the teachings that you do is centered around liberation. And mm-hmm. this can be liberation focused uh, around our minds, our bodies, our identities, our communities. For you personally, how do you actually define liberation in the context of your personal life?
1: Oh, my gracious. How do I define liberation? Um, That has shifted so much. Mm -hmm. That that has shifted. And I think that's a good thing. I want to say that. I think that our dreams of what liberation looks like should be shifting as our our country and our world shifts and and ideally become gets closer to those dreams of liberation i i think that our young people provide us some of our most beautiful transformative un, untarnished versions of of liberation and i think they're they're bigger and grander than than things that that folks who are older can um, can dream up i'll say one of the things that's really transformed the landscape of activism and advocacy over the last year and a half, of course, right? Let's say since the uprising for Black Lives in the summer of 2020, is that there seems to be a deeper understanding of what it will take to get us free, right? And it feels like for the first time in my life, and I'm, I won't disclose my age, but I'm, I'm pushing 40, um, is that people are getting that we're not going to get free unless we get free together. And I mean that in so many different directions. Diff, different Directions. I've seen white folks talking about racism in ways that show an authentic desire to learn and to show up as allies and even accomplices, right? I've seen people of color talking about trans inclusion in ways that I never could have imagined 20 years ago. I've seen disability justice and immigrants' rights and ageism and fat liberation and conversations about the harms of um, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism all being brought up and talked about in spaces that they didn't used to be. And so I'm not saying that, I mean, I'm not saying we're done, we're far from done. Um, But I'm saying that I believe more and more of us understand that our liberation is tied up together and that the only path to liberation is collective liberation. And so what's really powerful about this is that once we start fighting together, there's no stopping us, right? You know that, um, that meme that says like, once I whatever, it's over for you hoes. Can I say hoes on this <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know. you can say whatever you want. You can say okay. whatever you want. <laughs> but you but folks know what I'm talking about. Um, like, you know, once I, there's, there's terrible, terrible ones about all kinds of things. But like once I do this, it's over for you hoes. Um, and I really believe <laughs> that's how I feel about our movements, right? Once we focus on intersectionality, once we center those of us who are most impacted, once we understand that there are so many more of us than them, it's over for these hoes, and and by hoes I'm talking about white supremacy and capitalism <laughs> and ableism and Islamophobia and transphobia and homophobia and um, ageism and xenophobia, fatphobia. It's it's over. It's over. These these institutions, these systems of oppression, they have nothing on the brilliance, the power, and the vision of our communities. So um, so my visions of liberation. Are deeply are, are deeply intersectional. They are all rooted in collective liberation. And once once we figure that out, it's over for these hoes, That that's it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that, that's it. Well, I, so, I mean, that's probably a different answer than what you were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding? This is the best surprise. The best surprise <laughs> answer. We didn't prepare for this at all. <laughs> um, well, I I think that it confirms to us that oftentimes we are we are the ones that are most in our own ways. Mm, So mm, if if the focus is collective liberation and we stop ourselves from being open to the liberation of others who we don't completely understand or know, we are quite truly stifling ourselves. And you did something radical in 2017 by designing the Philly pride flag, which is the pride flag that features a black and brown stripe as well. Mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. was in 2017. It really took off in 2020 yes. um, as a, a massive symbol for the movements that didn't start in 2020, but That's were really right. focused on because we realized we had to take a look at ourselves. So I would love for you to guide us through the story of the Pride, the Philly Pride flag. yes, And how you saw people within the LGBTQ plus community get in their own ways of their mm-hmm. own liberation mm-hmm. and the conversations that you had within the community around the flag, what oh that gosh. really showed you about where people were stuck.
1: That's right. That's right. And if you've got a minute, I can, I would love to actually tell the the story story yes. because it's not one. Yeah. Um. It's not one that's been told kind of comprehensively in a, in a space like this. And I think, there's a lot that's that's gotten lost. Is, is always the case when a symbol kind of goes goes viral and gets um, somewhat removed and divorced from from its creation and from its original intention. Mm, um, yes. So I'd, I'd love to do that, and it's such an honor Grab to Grab some here tea. Here. And right, pull, pull, like sit, this sit on pause. down. <laughs> Let's
0: start the fire.
1: Let's get right, it. exactly. Settle in. Um, so in 2017, as you said, I was the executive director of the Office of LGBT Affairs for the city of Philadelphia. And when the mayor recruited me into this role, he told me that my job was to work within the LGBTQ community and, wait for it, solve racism. <laughs>
0: I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear
1: to sorry. God. Sorry, I'm sorry. Oh my God. And laughing. I'm laughing now, but baby, I was crying then.
0: Crying, laughing, or just like sobbing? Just
1: Mostly just sobbing. Um, both, <laughs> both of those reactions, in my perspective, are perfectly legitimate. Um, because, what? Uh, but it was a tough time. And... He was serious, and that's because our communities were really in, in crisis. For years, there had been conversations about discrimination within the LGBTQ community, and this was discrimination in bars, in places of public accommodation, um, really a lack of representation in the leadership of the communities, and so much more. To, to give you context about how long this had been going on, there was even a 1986 report that was delivered to the mayor at the time, documenting these issues, and nothing had been done for decades, right? So then we're like 30 years later, and it was actually in 2016, the smoking gun, a lot of people don't know this, is that a video was released of an owner of a prominent gay bar in Philadelphia. And this owner was caught on video speaking disparagingly about black people. And he was saying the N word over and over again, right? So I want to be clear, this was a man who had made his living off of the LGBTQ community and specifically black and brown folks within the LGBTQ community. He was not like a random troll on Facebook, right? He was a community leader. He had a bar and this was the last in the slew of racist incidences in our community. And enough was enough. And so there were boycotts, there were protests, there were calls for resignations. There were town halls, there were hearings. Um, Some of the activist groups that were pushing for this were um, Philly Coalition for Real Justice, the Black and Brown Workers Cooperative. They led a lot of those actions. Like The city was in a firestorm. And so you can understand why the mayor was in crisis, right? And so my charge when I was brought in was to help guide the city through this impossible time and to do so thoughtfully, intentionally, and strategically. But here's the thing. Oppression doesn't exist in a vacuum, just like we've been talking about. So we had to be able to tackle some difficult conversations about race for sure, but also about gender and class and disability and xenophobia. And we needed to not just have these conversations for Philadelphia, but they were applicable for the country and for the world. So here's the thing. I led a lot of different initiatives so that we could tackle this, including legislation, community conversations, town halls. Mm -hmm. But in 2017, this flag is what I introduced. And that's what people remember. <laughs> and so it's like, it's a little complicated when people ask me about the, the flag. Yeah. I'm like, it's complicated because there were so many other initiatives that really were like substantive, but people really hold on to the flag. That's, and that's almost that's, always that's the like,
0: case too. That's a case, like, right? the case, right? The symbol. It's like, okay, but do you understand the context, which is why symbols yes. get taken out of context so often. Yes. And um, yes. this is why the story is important. This is thank
1: you. So you understand. And it it was, it was just a symbol. I always say it was a simple symbol. It's a rainbow flag with two new stripes, one black, one brown. And a simple symbol to stand in solidarity and center the people whose experiences and narratives had so often been ignored and whitewashed and erased. Now I say it was a simple simple, <laughs> but history actually tells us that the flag was anything but simple. And so we raised it at City Hall on Thursday. And by Friday, it had been picked up by nearly every major news outlet and it had gone viral like instantly. And when I look back on the time, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive, right? We, I had calls, emails, texts, tweets. Child, I didn't know how to tweet at the time. I was like grabbing Gen Zers on the street saying, what does this mean? How do I create a hashtag? It was a about- bad. It was so bad. Amazing. It was it was so bad. But but we figured it out. And what we heard over and over again was thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? We needed this. It was so long overdue. And it was beautiful, but it wasn't all positive. And so when I think back to that time, I remember that we raised it on Thursday with glitter and drag queens and we are family and all of that. And by Friday, I had death threats. And I had death threats from people Friday,
0: the next day or the 70s, very
1: 80s. next day. The very oh next day. So we okay. raised it on Thursday. We're cheering. This is a great moment for Philadelphia. We are marking this time in history where we're having these difficult conversations when we are dismantling racism within our own community. And the very next day I had death threats from people, and here's the important thing. A lot of them came from people who were supposedly within my own community. How do I know this? Dun, well, dun, dun. Uh, The tea is who shot? Who shot? Yes. Um, and I know this because they started their emails, their phone calls with, and I'm, I'm gonna give you the real tea. I'm gonna be honest on this, on this yeah,
0: podcast. That's all we want. They
1: started with, as a gay white man, I am outraged. How dare you talk about race? Right? This isn't the time. They called me a Black Lives Matter n-word. They were saying that I had hijacked their community. They were also saying, child, I'm not racist, but at the same time, they're calling me a Black Lives Matter inward, right? Um, and so I mentioned this, I, obviously, it was not only white gay men, and certainly people that had critiques for the flag were not just, you know, we're not just gay white men. Um, but it was a wide swath of folks with those identities. And there's a lot that I wanna say about that. But what I will say is that the following months were not easy but they were transformative. And the flag, just like that, it started an international conversation, right? From South Africa to New Zealand, the Netherlands, Australia. People were really talking about the reality of of oppression within marginalized communities. Um, But I've been telling that story the last year more than I did in the three years prior, right? I've been telling that story more from 2020 to 2021, more than I did from 2017 to 2020, because we're at a moment where the intersection of our identities and oppressions are kind of front and center. And our country is finally waking up to the realities of violence and injustice and inequities that people of color, and I would say black people in particular, have experienced and died from in this country for the last 400 years. So we're at this moment where a lot of people can finally understand the need for an LGBTQ flag that centers the lives, voices, and leadership of LGBTQ people of color, but that gap that gap that white gay men, so many of them had at that time, and and, and frankly, some still have to this day, really highlights this the, the damage of not having an intersectional lens in this work. The idea of thinking, well, I have a marginalized identity. I have experienced some kind of oppression, so I couldn't possibly also be oppressing others. I couldn't possibly be discriminating against other folks, right? It's that gap that really gets us into a lot of trouble and does deep and serious harm to our communities. And so it's wild that a, a simple flag like this shown such a, a spotlight on those serious issues, right? And at the end of the day, those folks that were sending me the, the hate mail and the death threats, right, they just proved the point, right? You can't call me a Black Lives Matter in word at the same time that you're saying racism doesn't exist within our community. They just proved the point. Um, but I'm happy to say that we're in a much better place now, but so much of that context gets lost when we just we just look at the symbol without understanding the larger story.
0: Hi there. If you find our work beneficial and you want to support how we build our company at your service, you can subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com nor. It's usually personal writings and as I build a community on there, hopefully more. Your support is how we build. I also curate a weekly newsletter of all the things I'm benefiting from and enjoying that week. Anything from what I'm reading, watching, listening, buying, and more. Like most things, I keep it personal. You can subscribe to it at nortagori.com newsletter. Now back to the story. I'm happy to hear you say we're in a much better place right now. What does that mean to you? Like mm-hmm. what does it mean to be in a much better place 3 years later after getting calls like that? Are you saying that you don't there aren't as many reactions that way that people don't verbalize those reactions that way that news just continues moving forward or that those people yeah. were a part of the conversation and and the tough conversations made an impact.
1: Yeah. That I'm saying I'm saying more of the the latter. Um, I want to be very clear that there is still profound <laughs> violence, of racism, and discrimination within the LGBTQ community—that is, that is, that is not done. Um, that is not finished, and we we see that every single day. Um, so I want to be very clear about that. But what I think is has been really important—not just since 2017, but in particular um, from 2020 to 2021—has been the. The, the level, the discourse, the frequency, the nuance that happens in these conversations now, they were happening before. I wanna be very clear, the flag the, the flag that I introduced is not the reason that folks are having these conversations. They were happening before, but they are happening at a greater frequency. Um, they're happening in, in different platforms, and, and there are more folks who are in the conversation. And I think that's what's important. When I saw, and, and people are speaking openly about their evolution, which is I think a vulnerability um, and an honesty that we need in these kind of conversations. Yes. There are folks that are yep. saying, you know what? I wasn't there. I wasn't there. And I really hope that they do that because maybe I still got the screenshots. So I know that you weren't there four years <laughs> ago. So own that because it can be a learning tool for other folks. Yeah. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not outing anybody. But own own your growth own your progress because it shows other folks about what's possible i don't think there's any value in burying our heads in the sand and um and not owning up to the fact that we've had an evolution on things hopefully we've all evolved on on certain issues so i see those folks claiming that they didn't have it right back then and this was eye-opening to them and they get it now and after they started having those conversations they started seeing for themselves when discrimination showed up. They started interrogating certain interactions, right? They started looking at the ways they showed up on gay apps, right? And the no fats, no femmes, no, no, no black folks, no Asians. Like that, that's a that's a real thing that shows up on yeah. Grinder. And when we talk about that kind of racism and xenophobia within the gay community, like that's being rooted out. It's being dismantled. So much more work has to be done, but there is a higher level of discourse than I have seen in my entire queer life. And that feels like a reason, that feels like an inspiring kind of revelation. And it feels like something we can look at. um, Because something I think is really important in movement work is that we keep, while we keep keeping our eye on what liberation looks like, we have to also be seeing the progress that's made. If we don't take note of that, we will burn ourselves Mm. out and we'll be no good for the fight. So we have to be able to see where we have made progress. Note that that's the only way that we can keep pushing forward, right? Because if yeah. you can't notice that you've actually made any progress, then you're like, what the hell am I here for, right? <laughs>
0: and, you, and you leave. I, told, I mean, it's the importance of celebrating your small wins. Yes, you know, the small yes, wins yes. are a part of the journey and a part of the process. And also, like, there is no one end point. They're all touch points. The journey and the growth is what is why we are here. It's why it's all important. And it's it's how we remind ourselves that it is everyone's job to be doing this type of interrogative work. And I really appreciate how open you are about how you interrogate your own privileges. And I would love if you could constantly. share that with our listeners as somebody who holds many identities that are constantly being fought against or, right. be, or, or we're having to fight for more openness around them. Most people wouldn't yeah. expect you to publicly talk about interrogating your own privilege, but what does that look like for you intimately?
1: Well, this goes back to my my point about um, the power of claiming when we've had when we when we've had a change of heart, when we've progressed, when we've evolved in our in our thinking. I think that that kind of evolution absolutely requires all of us to interrogate both our privilege and our marginalized identities. And so, I, without pause, without question without shame. Talk about, of course, I claim very proudly that I am black and queer and non-binary and assigned female at birth. And I also claim that I am a person who has Christian privilege. I'm a person that is currently has able-bodied privilege. I am a person that has class Privilege at this point, I didn't have it earlier in my life, but that's also an an evolution that I need to be able to name, right? I used to be a very poor person. That is not an experience that I have anymore. I think that's important. I have education privilege. I have citizenship privilege. These are Mm. are things that we have to be able to name in spaces Mm. because it tells me, it reminds me every single day that when I am moving from that privilege standpoint, I have work that has to be done. Right. I have absorbed in any of these privileged identities. I have absorbed certain privileges because of those identities. I've also been influenced by systems that oppress folks who don't hold those identities. So it is my work to unlearn what I have learned that can harm other communities. Right. And so with any of those identities, like if we're thinking about, I talked about citizenship privilege, right? So that's one of the places where I can interrogate. What are some of the ideas that I have about immigrants. Right. And I, I use that like as a, as a very broad term of people right. can like actually see me. What are, what are the, what are what are the, um, ideas, assumptions, judgments that I may have about folks who are immigrating to, 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 to North America, to the United States, right. To the United States in particular. Um, where did those come from and what work am I doing every single day to dismantle those? And then even more importantly, what am I doing with my body and my privilege to show up for, Folks who do not have that citizenship privilege for, for the United mm. States, right? What am I doing for disabled disabled folks? Like, what? How can I be in solidarity with those folks? And more importantly, how can I, wherever I am, be dismantling ableism as it shows up? And when I get it wrong, and disabled folks call me out on that, how can I use my power and my privilege to show up better and make sure I don't make those those same mistakes? And so, there's something so powerful about running down that list and I say it explicitly here as hopefully a way to 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 trigger folks in a good way to run down that same list for themselves because it tells you where you have work to do and by that I mean like literal like homework right you got research to do because you may be saying like well I didn't really think about the fact that I have like Christian privilege I don't I actually really know what that means. Maybe it means a lot of things, right? <laughs> Even if you're not going to church every week or whatever, right? It means that you move through this country and frankly, the world in very different ways than folks who are who, who are not Christian, right? And we need to be able to have, we need to have that conversation. Um, And there are ways that you can show up in solidarity with folks who are not Christian if, if that's, you know, if, if that's if that's the work that you need to be doing. Um, So for me, back to your point about the journey, for me it highlights for me that this work will never be done and that there's Mm. always more that I need to be doing. And I'm sure there's, to be totally honest, I'm sure there are privileges that I, didn't call out. Right. There's been, if folks have, you know, like drop, drop them in the comments, uh, privileges that I yeah. need to be interrogating, <laughs> right. That I need to be doing some more work on. Right. Like I, I also like, I, I'm in solidarity and an accomplice to, to fat communities. And so I should have, like, I should have called, called that out. I have a lot of thin privilege. Um, and so I think that's something that that's really important to call out as well. I'm like going through the list. You see, like constantly doing actually, that work. And,
0: and you also don't have to, yeah, you don't have to call, like you, we are we are not all entitled thank you for sharing all of that. And also we are not in- like we are not entitled to all of the personal privileges that you may carry That's and so I, it true. is a privilege in itself that you are open and sharing it because at the end of the day, like performative work is not what we're here for That's because game, it takes up time and space in a way that doesn't really do the d- doesn't have the impact that you wanted to have. And by the way, when you do performative work, you feel more icky when you post something out of pressure because everybody's telling you to, but you don't understand why you're going to feel gross about anything around advocacy and activism, because you think that it comes from a place of shame instead of understanding and love. And so to bring it back to, you know how I love, this is why I love guided storytelling sessions, because the original question three years ago that I asked you (laughs) was around how we like, how we essentially recalibrate when corporations have this, you know, they have to be doing this extra work, this work at this e d d and I work. And also at the same time are focused on, you know, running a business, how we play the role in that. And I think that, one of the things that sticks with me or rings true to me is realize is having these companies and corporations realize when they do performative work and That's how so to true. not do it. So how do is it possible? Is it even possible for a corporation to do work that is not performative?
1: Hmm. Ooh, I've had in a lot of critiques for capitalism in, the, in this conversation and so I think when we do, from a from a macro perspective I'm not I'm not certain I'm not certain that it is. I think that just by the nature of the fact that corporations are going to, um, are going to communicate about their efforts and their initiatives in such Mm -hmm. a way to their, to their consumers in such a way that impacts their bottom line and Mm -hmm. eventually, right. Eventually literally pays off. I, I think inherently that that is performative because, Cause it's in capitalism. I, I want to say that you can name that, and it can still be useful, right? It can still be yeah. useful for our communities. There can still be a benefit for it. So, yeah, it. it Again, is we're saying
0: it. like there. It, it's not good or bad. That's it can right. Be both it's just and like it we can be also. Both and.
1: Nuance, yes, a nuance. Yes. Oh, <laughs> right. nuance. Give it to me. Because let's be very clear, right? If we just say no, this is no good because yeah, this. Because this corporation is going to slap up this, this, um, this graphic on their Instagram so that people buy more of this product or invest more in this thing. So I'm just, I'm just going to totally divest from that. And I'm not going to participate in it. That's a, that's a way that's a path. That's a possibility, right? But if all of us do that then these corporations aren't accountable in any kind of way, in any shape or form. And so I think- And that we that's can,
0: when it becomes harmful? There it is. Yes. Yes, it is. I don't
1: think that we can all divest from that system. I think that we can hold both of these things, right? We are in a capitalist society. And so yes, these corporations are going to um, lean into diversity and inclusion because it does impact their, their bottom line in a, in a beneficial way. And our job, is to make sure that if they are going to lean in, they're doing it with as much integrity and in ways that can actually, while impacting their bottom line, actually impact our communities in substantive ways that can lead us towards liberation. And that that's the piece, right? And I think that we can do both and. So to answer your question from 46 years ago, because <laughs> <laughs> I promise, I promise I'm gonna get there. It comes back to the money for me, right? It comes back to the, if I'm, if I'm ever asking, Uh, a company or really an organization, if they're truly invested in this work, I wanna know where they're spending their money because that's what they care about. So you're gonna bring me in to be your Pride Month speaker. What else are you doing? to invest in LGBTQ employees? What else are you doing to invest in the LGBTQ community? Aside from just like, I don't know, dropping in a few thousand dollars because it's June. What are you doing around the calendar year to make sure that LGBTQ people at your workplace can thrive and show up as their full selves, right? Maybe that looks like something like adding pronouns to your signature in your email or to your Zoom name, right? But maybe it all it really looks like Actually investing in um, parental leave and making sure that parental leave actually applies to LGBTQ parents as well. Maybe it looks like actually investing in healthcare benefits for trans and non-binary folks. Right, like what are you doing that actually actually supports these people? Every single day in their real lives, where is the money going? And when you say you're invested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, what does your DNI team actually look like? Is there a DNI team? Because that's a flag for me. You're bringing me in, you're plopping me in to give a one-hour keynote, and then I I sashay out, and you don't actually have a team to help carry this work forward. Because I'm gonna say some things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop a couple truth bombs. I'm gonna tell you what you can do better to improve this workforce. What you can do better to improve improve your bottom line. If you're not actually invested in it, you're going to send me a check and you're going to go back to business as usual. And those are red flags for me. So when I have conversations, I'll say to other folks who are trying to do this work or getting into this work, when I have those kind of intake conversations about what would you like me to talk about? I also say, what work are you all doing already? And I usually say, hey, because I'd love to talk about it in my talk. I'd like to be able to pump up this work and give you all some some credit and some clout here. Right. And so let them show it off. But your flag is, if they don't have anything to tell you, right? Or they're saying, well, we're just getting started and your talk is going to get us there. That's not necessarily a reason to walk away from the table, but it should be something that goes ding, ding, ding in your head, right? And now you have more yeah, you have where they you are might have in this leverage.
0: journey. Okay. Yes.
1: Okay. We're saying the same exact thing. You know where right. they are in this journey. So now you know, okay, cool. I'll do this talk, but y'all need to bring me back to do some of the like, real internal work. Okay.
0: <laughs> so exactly. that's. Exactly. Yeah. So the
1: checklist is going to look different for folks. But the first thing, the biggest thing I'll say is ask about the money, ask how they're really invested and ask what it looks like for employees there 365 days, days a year. And that's where you know where you where you're fitting into kind of the universe of things.
0: You seem like you're really good at talking about equity, diversity, inclusion. <laughs> is that like what you do? Is that like what you do when you're regular? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about
1: getting into it. I'm thinking about it. I um, haven't really decided. Not a big People, fan of the title, but... Um.
0: <laughs> well, hey, I mean, let's talk about... So, all right. What, what would be your goal in terms of transitioning the language? Like, when can we retire the word diversity and inclusion? Equity, I think, has a long way to go yes. because equity is what we tie to the money and the building part but diversity yes. and inclusion just like uh,
1: yes yes like, what well, are you so, what are you saying uh, so here's i'll tell you this is this is tell you how i feel about diversity yeah this is like such a controversial (laughs) such a controversial give it to us I always I mean I always do there's always some at some point where I'm talking to folks where I'm like okay I'm gonna say a very unpopular thing um when I started at the ACLU I was actually hired as a as a chief diversity officer and a lot and it's no offense to anybody that has that title it's a lot of um a lot of folks that do my work have that title, and you can't really do anything about it. But the yeah. first day on the job, I just, I, I just trashed the title, <laughs> and I told my first, my first point of business. I went to my executive director. I was like, "So this diversity officer thing doesn't work for me." And he's like, "Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> welcome to the ACLU. what? We hired you for right. that. <laughs> right. What do you mean?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, I've been looking at the data, and I mean, it's the ACLU, right? So the ACLU is doing." pretty pretty well in diversity um, but we have a ways to go as does everybody with equity and inclusion and so I actually I'm going to change my title to Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer now to your point about equity it was actually going to be Chief Equity Officer but that's CEO and so he wasn't a big fan of that one <laughs> <laughs> Fair, right? Uh, fair. Um,
0: <laughs> All right, fine, fine. <laughs> fine I fine,
1: won't be win. CEO. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Pretty bold statement for my first day. Uh, so we made, you know, we, we made some uh, some some changes. But that's when I became the equity and inclusion officer, and it was because I wanted to make sure that we had equity at the center of everything we did. Because you and I both know, diversity doesn't mean shit. Inclusion doesn't mean shit if you're not working from an equity lens. And what we do at the ACLU is an equity lens. We are trying to dismantle historical oppression, historical oppression, by the way, that is like inherent in the document that we use to dismantle historical oppression. Like we use the constitution, the constitution to fight for marginalized communities. That is wildly aspirational work, right? Like it is a deeply white supremacist document, right? We talk about that openly. So it is a wild concept that we would be able to use the constitution to fight for the lives and the rights and the the liberties of black and brown folks, of trans and non-binary folks, of women, right? Of of Muslim folks, like, oh my gosh. Does that just feel like
0: you're playing a game though, that has like really outdated (sighs) rules? It does. Oh my gosh. Yes. But I think
1: that's what's I, if I'm being honest, I'm not an attorney, but I feel like that's what the entire legal field is, right? the entire, not the entire legal field, but the civil liberties field, right? The racial justice field is that you are using laws that are inherently racist, that are, in, that were like created to, I mean, this is the whole point of intersectionality. And when Kimberly Crenshaw talks about it, it's about understanding that the law itself is not neutral. It is inherently white supremacist. And so there's no such thing of like, oh, okay, we can just use these laws. And as long as as we change these people, then we'll be fine and we'll be at equality. No, the the discrimination is actually baked in. And so you're right, it is a game. It's how do I use this inherently racist document to actually expand and protect the the civil liberties and the rights that this document was created (laughs) Right. It's wild. It is a wild, it is a wild game. That's not necessarily my job. It's my job to support the people that do that. But it is a, it is a deeply aspirational notion. And I can't believe that we've been doing it for a hundred years.
0: Hi, I hope you're enjoying the storytelling session. I just wanted to share something with you. If you're looking for a good deed opportunity these days, my family has been working to alleviate local homelessness for over 10 years. We have a foundation called I See You and we make care packages for people experiencing homelessness. We make family food bags with food staples and give out grocery gift cards to families in need and more. Everything is done by donation, and 100% of the money goes towards community members in need. If you'd like to donate, you can through Venmo at, at ISYFoundation or PayPal to contactISYfoundation.org. If you or someone you know is in need in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area and could use our help, please DM on Instagram, ISYFoundation, or shoot us an email. Now back to our story. How can we as citizens who want to do the work utilize the ACLU or be mindful of when the ACLU could possibly be of service to us?
1: Oh, my gosh. So uh, I'll, I'll say this something i'm i'm kind of looking up in in the room that i'm in right now and there's a there's a hat there's an aclu kind of merchandise hat that says see you in court which is you know one of our one of our taglines, um and we're doing a lot of like strategic planning in the in the organization right now as you can imagine we just got through four years of the trump administration right and we're already gearing up for 2024 there's also. a lot of
0: lawsuits during those four Who years you guys filed? one or
1: two one or two <laughs> i forget the number because we put it we put it out we like took out a new york times ad to say i think we sued the trump administration for over 400 times it was literally the last day like you remember you remember we were all kind of like watching the inauguration there's that shot of like the the plane like you know the 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 helicopter leaving the white house lawn, and we had like just submitted our last lawsuit to the trump administration we literally sued wow. up the minute that man left the white house and so it was 400 plus lawsuits in and in, in just that time and so we're tired i'm just i think i could say that openly we're tired but we're already gearing up for 2024 and let's also be be clear we have sued Every president in history, right? Because civil liberties violations don't know a political party, so we already have a mandate for the. But Biden what's the point of suing?
0: There, what is the point? Like, is it symbolic? Is there? Mm-mm. Is there? Do you want there to be? Is there Has there ever been a response that has moved the ball forward?
1: Yes, yes. I mean,
0: we can. Oh my
1: gosh! I would say the entire. I mean, we we sued those four hundred times and we won. Right, the entire kind of, um, the entire battle with the Trump administration was being able to hold the wall, like hold that boundary. And I think what's important about the ACLU, not to like go on so much about this job, but I think what folks forget, because it has been a hundred years, is that Brown versus Board, that was the ACLU, right? Um, Miranda rights, that was the ACLU, Roe v. Wade was the ACLU, right? And, and I mean, and we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the sixties and the seventies, but Like literally just last summer, making sure that folks who are LGBTQ cannot be fired from work or kicked out of their homes, like because of their sexual orientation and their gender identity, that was the ACLU as well. DACA, like that was, so right, voting rights, like who held the line for voting rights? Those lawsuits matter if only to hold the rights that we already have in place and we won before. But what we say Mm. is like, it's it's a democracy if you can keep it right we have to constant they don't these cases don't stay one there are constant challenges to them so that's why the organization is really important and i give just that context to say that the ACLU is best in a crisis and we know that we are the ones that like when we have like a hundred anti-trans bills that are running through the country, folks do immediately go. They're like, okay, what the hell is ACLU doing about this? Right. And we're like, don't worry. We already filed a lawsuit. We're on it. Like we're, and here's what you can do. Here's who you can email. Here's who you can call. We are going to go handle this in court and we need you all to handle it on the ground. And I think that's the beautiful thing about, again, collective liberation and Mm -hmm. this collective fight. So I will say, When there is a crisis, go to our social media pages, right? Like, become obviously a donor of the ACLU. Any little bit counts, child, because these lawyers are tired. (laughs) We need to be able to have more of them to fight these battles. Um, And it's not just the lawyers, right? We have advocates. We have activists. We have community organizers. We have so many coalitions that we work with that are on the ground. um, And we have all of you. So democracy, you know, the fights don't stay won. And it's a democracy if we can keep it. Um, And it's it's, it's the power of the people, right? It's been so important to have our organization organizations like ours that have been really holding the government accountable mm. for so damn long. Cause that, that's what we do. We hold the government accountable and essentially hold the country accountable to the promises of the constitution. Like you said, you were going to do these things. This ain't it. So we're yeah. going to sue you. <laughs> and
0: You're playing America's you. game, like <laughs> exactly playing right. America's game to America. That's right. I have some not-so-rapid, rapid-fire questions. Oh, my if, gosh. I love it. Um, okay. Yes. Okay, cool, 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 okay. I say they're not-so-rapid, rapid-fire because my first question to you is, what is the difference between sponsorship and mentorship, and why is that difference so important to you? Oh, my Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I think you're answering, you're
1: asking this question because I literally just wrote a TED talk on it,
0: which I, appreciate I the opportunity to be like, this. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate
1: the opportunity to say, I actually just gave a TED talk on this, a real, real yeah. life TED talk on it. Uh, so I can, uh, there's a five minute answer that answers this question that you could, you all can go and Google it. Thank you Nora, for giving, <laughs> giving me the chance to talk about it. Um, I would say that sponsor, mentorship and sponsorship are very similar to the allyship and accompliceship kind of parallel that I gave earlier. It's about putting your putting your real skin in the game, right? And so we know mentors are folks that often are, you know, sometimes more senior than us, have more experience than us. They're folks can give us really good advice, right? They can prepare us for that job interview or the next level of our career, maybe even sometimes our, our personal lives, right? But sponsors are folks that are much more senior than you often and they are folks that can literally like get you into rooms that you need to be in so instead of like prepping you for the interview they can help get you that interview and help get you that job right they are also folks that can take your work and talk about you in spaces that you don't occupy and mm-hmm. really kick down doors for you I think that piece about sponsorship it happens when you're not in the space and it's like somebody is your champion. They are your advocate. They have skin in the game, right? This goes back to the allyship mm-hmm. and accomplishment. They have skin in the game in a way that a mentor doesn't necessarily. Like that sponsor is your personal cheerleader. Um, and they take it on, they take on that responsibility for for like very seriously to be able to get you into spaces that you're that you're not in um and there's a lot of examples again that I give kind of in the TED talk but I think we all we all need mentors but I think we all really need sponsors like those are the ones that that carry that help carry some of that water for us
0: and knock down doors that we couldn't knock down ourselves who is a sponsor that you've had in your life that has totally changed the trajectory of your work anybody that
1: took a chance on me any of my any of my my bosses I would say um, frankly, anybody that's yeah, anybody taking a chance on me and, and giving me a job, um, I'll say this this last job at the ACLU. Like, I am not a traditional diversity, equity, and inclusion person. I've done this work for a very long time, I've done equity work, like literally education equity work um, for a decade and a half. Um, but somebody like me, that's I, I'm, I'm younger than most folks that, that do this work. Um, I have an activist background. Um, I come into spaces talking about dismantling white supremacy culture, <laughs> which is not a thing that folks often do with diversity, equity, inclusion. And for somebody like the executive director of the ACLU or the senior leadership at that place to say, Whew, this is scary as hell. But yeah, yeah, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll take a chance. We'll do it mm-hmm. and we'll fund this work. And even when you call us out on our stuff, because we don't, we don't get it right on the time, we're, we're, going, we're gonna believe you and we're going to take your word for it. We're going to lean in that direction. Like that's 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 awesome. That and that that Love. that is sponsorship, right? Like giving somebody mm. a platform. So I would say I've had sponsors throughout my entire life, but for me sponsorship has been somebody that's taken a chance on me or somebody that's like got me into got me into a room that I wouldn't be in. You're you're doing sponsorship right now. Like you have an incredibly you I'm serious. You have an incredibly huge po- platform and you are such an important voice. For so many of us, and to be like, hey, I like your message. I wanna give you this space. Like, this is access that I wouldn't normally have. And I'm so grateful to you, like, as a friend, as a colleague, for doing this. And I think I'm using you as an example because. You are you are younger than me, you have different identities than I do, you are in very different spaces than I am, and you still found opportunities to provide access for me that I wouldn't have. And so you are a perfect example of how we can be doing this for each other. So well, thank you, friend.
0: <laughs> that's really kind of you, and I wasn't expecting that, but thank you so much. And I, mean, I like don't take that lightly. I really appreciate that.
1: I feel like that.
0: Who is a young leader you have your eyes on these days that you just like have really enjoyed watching grow?
1: Yep, yep. I I have this answer. I'm, be, I'm gonna be better with my my rapid fire. Um, her name is Latanya Myers, and she is somebody. Latanya that I, Myers. Latanya Myers. I think her Instagram is above all odds, above all odds. And I know her from her work in Philadelphia. She's a young, um, masculine of center a black lesbian who is formerly incarcerated. I'm, not, I'm Her story is very public and it's a part of her activist work, um, was incarcerated as a young person for, um, because she defended her mother against uh, domestic violence at the hands of a boyfriend. And she was locked up because of that. And her criminal record um, significantly impacted her ability to be able to, to be successful in life. Right? So she talks about um, Pro- probation, right, and just the way the wow. criminal justice system can deeply harm people who quote unquote make mistakes when they're younger. And I, I say make mistakes because she was defending her mother from from um, a person who is who is abusing her. um And so, but Latanya has done incredible things with her platform. She has worked with the district attorney's office she's worked with the public defender's office she has a nonprofit that works specifically with young with youth of color who are justice involved she is amazing and she just won a Reebok human rights award of for a hundred thousand dollars to be able to continue her work and expand it even more broadly to be able to provide resources and support for um young folks of color who are formerly incarcerated and so that's That's a young person that I am watching. And I'm saying, hey, yo, put me to work because that's the kind of vision of liberation that we need. That's also a thing that like, that's a privilege that I don't have. I'm I'm not a formerly incarcerated person. There are a lot of privileges I have because I have, I've never, I've never been incarcerated. And so I'm looking at folks that can say, hey, here's what happens when you get locked up. Here are all the other barriers to success and to opportunity that I experience. How can you help me? knock these doors down right so like ending the cash bail system which is incredibly racist and just frankly so racist (laughs) right like so racist does not make sense what what right so just things like things like that that are helping us check these systems and change them for the better so that is that's a young person that i'm watching
0: so inspiring Speaking of Philly, I would love if you could describe a perfect Philly day. So I have a, I'm have, i going to take a day trip to Philly from start to when? finish. What are we doing? Well, I'm going to when you give me this perfect day. And then <laughs> I will legendary. let you. Yes, that's oh what I'm doing. God. Don't you see that that's what my question really is? <laughs>
1: <laughs> say
0: <Like>. less Say <laughs> less.
1: oh my gosh oh my gosh okay so there's so many things that are that are popping up i will say first i will talk about the time of year this is the time of year i just want to say Perfect. for any all of us northeasterners we know they're oh f- i feel like fall like these this like this october time and really i've got some like real affinity for spring as well right when the weather breaks you know what i'm talking about where it's been bitter cold and you mm, start getting to that like mm. 60s 65 yeah and everybody's out and frolicking and it's like a damn movie you know what i'm talking about like those are the sweet spots in the northeast so right now we're in that time so it has to be around this time of year okay um food has to be at the top of the list because philly has such good food and i know all northeastern cities think they have great food no but seriously we are like we are undefeated with with incredible food um so I, I, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You, you have to go, you have to get up early and you got to go on a beautiful drive. Um, Maybe you go to New Hope. I don't know. Maybe you go south and go kind of like, but you need to, you need to drive and you see the leaves changing. I think that's really important. You can see the, live, the, the leaves changing. You go to any of the, tons of orchards that we have pumpkin patches that kind of thing It's your cute little fall pictures and your little family thing that's that's adorable that's your like little cute little day trip you go to some cute little village that we that we have like you get like i said you can do new hope you can do peddler's village we have some things that are right outside the city that are that are adorable it's just like literally like you can do 30 45 minutes you come back into the city you get a nice little hotel um you get i think you go to rittenhouse you get a little bite to eat you do a little like happy hour kind of afternoon tea whatever you want to do leaves changing there's usually like a little festival that's happening in rittenhouse square which is gorgeous maybe do a little farmer's market pick up some stuff go back to the hotel maybe get a nap i would get a nap i think that's a good idea where are you staying (laughs) where where are we saying yeah oh my god depends on what your budget is but child if you got some money the four seasons (laughs) just opened in philadelphia (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't afford it, but maybe you can.
0: <laughs> and if well, you, what, can afford what are, it,
1: you stay in the four seasons. <laughs> and what if you
0: can't afford the but four seasons and you oh want something God. really cute? If you want something
1: really cute and you're on you're on a budget, the Lowe's has a great the, has a great view and that's right there in the city. The Kemp, we have two Kemptons in the city that are really nice. I'm not getting paid for any of this promo. So I'm oh not no, no, from these hotels. Yes. <laughs>
0: commission (laughs) okay tell me about food food. where are we eating (laughs) oh my god
1: where are we eating okay i would go to the neighborhood to eat i will say that people call it midtown village it's not midtown village it's called it's the neighborhood. it's right in the middle of town we are the first and oldest neighborhood in the in the in the country and it's exactly what it sounds like um there are there's a great place called barbuzo which is lesbian owned and has like the Mediterranean food um, and I'm giving quotes there because that is entirely too broad of a term but it's it's really good food there's great Italian food in Philadelphia and I'm not going to pick an Italian restaurant for folks because I'm not trying to get in trouble but no, I would go no. to the neighborhood, and you just have your pick of spaces there there's great Mexican with Elvez. there's just there's a lot but I would go to the Gaborhood I would just eat my way through the neighborhood. and Fantastic. then when you're there you go out and you dance because it's the Gaborhood and so there are great bars. Um, I'm not going to name any of those either because I'm not going to. I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> but you bar hop. You bar hop in the neighborhood. That's your great night, and you stumble your butt home to one of the hotels
0: you're staying at in the city. And you've got it. It's it's a gorgeous, fantastic, night. fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Um, what song do you listen to or dance to for joy?
1: Whitney Houston's "I Wanna to Dance with to Somebody." Thousand, oh, percent.
0: Classic, thousand percent classic.
1: Thousand percent classic. Classic. Gotta be. Oh man, I will tear it up and I think there's some there's some older school stuff that my mom used to used to kind of put me put me on to. But I say old school and then people are gonna be like Child, that was not. That was not that old. School, yeah. Like, <laughs> so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna offend anybody. But we'll just stick with the classic Whitney Houston's Only
0: Dance so Amber, you said a lot of big things in this entire interview. But then when it comes to restaurants, bars, and what song, you're like, this is a bit too controversial for my taste. I actually can't oh my say God, these you're things. so right. Only <laughs> things that I could get like legally in trouble for. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's you're just so hilarious. Right. It's amazing. You are not wrong. I love wrong. it. You are um, not wrong. What is a message that you got after the Philly pride flag that really reminded you of why you do the work you do? This might be hard, but if there is like any words that someone used it's or not. any interaction. Okay, go for it. Go for it. It's not. For it.
1: The thing that I heard most often, and I, it, it, I didn't actually hear this most often, but I heard it m- multiple times and every single time it, it truly it brought me to tears, was people of color reaching out and saying, mm. "I, I didn't know that I needed this. I never mm. felt truly included from the mm. by the, the six stripe flag, which you know, all love to Gilbert Baker and the design. It was truly meant to be an inclusive symbol, but it, it didn't feel like it was us. And people didn't realize that until they saw my flag, our flag." And I said, I didn't realize what was missing until I saw this thing that is truly, clearly, explicitly for me and my identities. And it's made all the difference, right? This is the only flag that I will wave. And I, 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 it brought me to tears every single time because that's the importance of symbols. That's also what we see with, with privilege. There are so many folks that have symbols that are always meant for them. And when we can see ourselves in something, whether it's a symbol, mm. it's a movie, it's a space, whatever it is, it opens up a world of possibility for us. And so for folks, grown folks, older folks to say, I never saw myself included like this so fully and comprehensively that like these parts of my identity together, and this is a gift that I can't put mm. into words, that was it. That was it. Wow. Because I felt the same thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, you create what you need the most. That's right. And then that it, do- it does its work. And finally, what do you know for sure?
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What do I know for sure? That young people are our only only chance at true liberation, that we have to follow Mm. them. That's it that we don't have the answers, that none of us do, and I'm not saying that, they, that that young folks have all the answers, but they have more of them than we do. And we have to let them lead. We have to get out of their way. And we have institutional knowledge, and we have a lot of brilliance that can help support their vision. But I know that young people are the ones that are going to lead us, and we got to get the hell out of their way. I know that for sure.
0: Mm, I love that that resonates so deeply. I think that I think about this often because I get a lot of my own guidance from like my younger siblings and my youngest sibling is 10 and he has so many of the answers and I realize maybe it's because as children we are like in the purest most open state and then it's like society adult adults all of these things that bombard us and blur our vision and I'm like I want to learn from like the closest thing to the to the one that is the closest to like when we all knew the truth. And that's, that, yeah. that, that, that. They, they have that connection still that we have mm-hmm. to be able
1: to tap into. And we need to- And know, what we, we want talk, to, we to we do to
0: is foster talk. maintaining that connection for the rest of us, like being able to go back to it and constantly follow through with it. I love that answer. That has never been an answer that I've gotten on the show. So thank oh. you for that reminder because that really feels like it wraps. Wow, how did we have 16 different conversations in this one- <laughs> that is a thousand percent um. my fault because that, that's how no I, that's how I, I what I do hold. you mean that's i i feel like that's my fault <laughs> i feel like every sentence was like okay notes notes I'm like i'm gonna listen to this again and just take all of the notes thank you so much amber thank how you. can so our much. listeners be of service to you these days
1: oh my gosh i think i feel like i've i've, I've given a few ways um but I will say to just to just stay in this work. I mentioned before how hard it can be to stay in movement work, especially when we get discouraged, especially when we get called in. But I just want to remind folks that we we haven't come this far to only come this far, and so we need folks to stay in, to continue learning, continue growing, continue supporting each other, um, and continue giving space for other people mm. to learn and grow and and support because we need all of us. So follow me. um, I'll follow you back. (laughs) And please keep listening to this brilliant, brilliant podcast. This is such a gift, my friend. Such a gift.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I can't wait to see you in Philly.
1: Oh, yeah. I'll have the restaurants for you. I can
0: can get touch the slide where we're going to (laughs) go. Oh, amazing. You can follow Amber Hikes on Instagram at Amber underscore underscore Hikes. They also have their TED Talk on their page. And of course, the ACLU at ACLU underscore Nationwide.